Hey there, prom party. This week's episode contains discussions of topics ranging from eating disorders, bullying, sexual assault, and false allegations. We will be discussing the allegations against Melanie Martinez, as well as sharing personal anecdotes from our lives. Please consider this your trigger warning and understand that if this week's episode is too much for you and you need to skip, we completely understand. We love you and we want you to be safe. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy the show. I don't want to be your merch girl. I want to be your goddamn idol. And I don't want to have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I... Welcome back, prom party. Hello. Are you just going to give a really cute, like, sing-songy hello every I'm just, time? I'm being musical. I love it. I mean, that's that's how some musicals work. The operatic ones, right? Yeah. Where you don't say anything. Everything has to be conveyed through song. Yes. Okay, like, we're not going to do a podcast like that, but I'll give them a sample. That would be the worst podcast. It would be like those children who make up songs as they go along. Yeah, that's very true. I was that kid, though. It's like, I'm gonna go to the bathroom, and it's gonna be great. Yeah, that's just my life, though. I don't know. (laughs) I feel like you're just reading me, and you're like, when children make songs, and not me that's like, I'm gonna buy some Golden Grahams. Yeah, but like you have melody. Children are like just whatever. Yeah, they make them sounds. They're doing like (laughs) avant-garde jazz with their melodies (laughs) and meter. That's very, very true. Well, friends, welcome back. It's the second installment of May Musical Month. It's May Musical. Maleficent. Okay. I tried. <laughs> I just, after I just criticized children for not being able to pull stuff together, that's what we went with. Okay, cool. That's fine. You just kind of meshed words together like whoever's in charge of the Halloween displays for Target. What are we going to do? We did Spooktacular last year, boys. we got to come up with something new. What are we going to do? Spookmazing. Sure, it worked. <laughs> we haven't done it yet. That's... The thing is, I kind of like Spookmazing because it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a broken pun. <laughs> Speaking of spooky, though, we're getting a little spooky today. Yeah, I would say so. I think we're getting a little spooky uh, coming from a lot of different angles oh the 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 horrors of the world the horrors of the world that we will be (laughs) unpacking with this one so this week's movie is a musical but it is more of a music film than anything Mm -hmm. this week we are talking about k through 12 or k12 written and directed and performed and starring and produced by melanie martinez truly her citizen kane it really is. This is her Orson Welles type performance where she did everything. Yeah, very, very true. So, Harmony, tell me about, I guess, your history with K-12 or with Melanie Martinez in general. Uh, what brought this to your attention? Well, this was actually my recommendation for us to cover for this. Because originally the slot was supposed to go to Spice World, but then we found out that it's impossible to watch Spice World anywhere. You can't. Find it. This is why physical media can never die. Because then when you're like, hey, I just want to watch Spice World randomly and I don't own a VCR anymore, you're fucked. 
basically, yes. So then we needed to add something else to the schedule, and this was my recommendation. And it's a little bit of a left-field choice, but I think it's really, really good, and I have a lot of things to say on it, and we'll get to that. But when K-12 was first announced, I was excited, and then I found out, oh, there's a movie version of K-12. through Now I'm double excited, and mm-hmm. we sat down to watch it, I think, day of release, yeah, or we certainly watched it day close of release. there. Yeah, but Melanie Martinez came on my radar not through, I think she was on The Voice, right? Yes, she was on The Voice. Yes, not through that. Um, it was the release of Dollhouse because... So I, her EP. Yes. Okay. Dollhouse is a really great song, and I think Carousel was used for American Horror Story, so it was getting shared around a it lot. It was. It was for American Horror Story Freak Show. That's sort of what really pushed her into the next level because being on The Voice or any of those singing competitions, yeah, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But think about how many seasons of American Idol there have been and how many winners you remember. Clay Aiken. He didn't win. I know, but I remember him. <laughs> he Basically, Clay Aiken is a good example of how the longevity of a singing competition doesn't pan out well for the contestants. Yeah. Where, like, I don't know, he probably had an album that was really popular with middle-aged moms, the Claymates, <laughs> and uh, then I don't know what happened to Clay Aiken or any other people whose names I don't remember. I mean, like, David Archuleta's on TikTok, and he most of his content is surrounded by the fact that he was on American Idol. But unless you're somebody like Kelly Clarkson or Carrie Underwood or Jordan Sparks or Jennifer Hudson or any of the people that, like, have exploded out of it, mm-hmm. no one really remembers you. And then there's, like, the few, like, fringe examples of somebody like Adore Delano who is popular not because they were on American Idol, but because they were on RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes, or the sort of wayward home for former American Idol contestants that is Postmodern Jukebox. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Yeah, a lot of people from the single season of American Idol that I watched, which was like the 10th season because my mom was watching it and I could hear it from the other room. I was like, oh, I actually like some voices. I'm going to sit down and watch this season. Yeah, I was like eight of the top ten. I was a big fan of like all of them. I'm like, these are all pretty talented singers. And then the two people I didn't care for were the country singers, and they went to the finals, and then I was like, I don't care anymore. It's because middle America. They're the ones who actually watch American Idol. It's a they're flawed the people, system, it's not, I know. It's not even necessarily that they're the ones who watch it, because like a lot of people watch it. They're the ones who actively are like, we got to get our phones out. We got to vote. Yeah, so the singing competition had nothing to do with my introduction to her. Like, her covers are fine. I think they're okay. Uh, looking back on them, they're pretty inconsequential. Mm-hmm. So She's far more talented than her covers. Oh, God, yes. Especially because a lot of, we'll, we'll say like a Kelly Clarkson does not write her own music. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Melanie's very talented, and we'll go into that a little bit more. What's, uh, what's sort of your exposure, I guess? My exposure was originally from The Voice, but I didn't follow The Voice. But uh-huh. I would get the music and, you know, listen to it on iTunes or whatever if somebody said, hey, there's a really good cover. Like, for example, I have never seen the season that Jordan Sparks was on, but I I know her cover of You'll Never Walk Alone from Carousel. I know that shit <laughs> real well. Love uh-huh. that. <laughs> but really, it was her single being used in American Horror Story because... Uh-huh. American Horror Story is probably the biggest example of sort of that, like, slow down. um, The only way I can describe it is, like, the welcome to my kitchen. We've got Avocado's voice from Vine. (laughs) Uh Just, like, the sort of 
low, everything is pulled really, really high into your soft palate, but you're pushing with your chest. It's a very coffee shop way of singing. Yeah. Uh, that became really big around the time of her releasing Dollhouse. So I remember hearing that and being like, oh, I like her. She's interesting. Mm-hmm. And then when Crybaby dropped, I was working at the time for Blumhouse.com, RIP. I miss mm-hmm. that website every day. But I wrote an article about the pastel nightmare of Melanie Martinez and sort of looked into her music career as well as her music videos because she directed most of her music videos, Mm -hmm. and if not all of them. And she also was greatly in charge of the style and the production design for all of them. And Uh she had sort of built this world. And I thought it was fascinating because it was playing with hyperfemininity and these very scary horror elements but relating it to real life trauma mm-hmm. and doing it all with this like bubblegum aesthetic that I thought was really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Very, Be- very striking. It's very striking. It's definitely like this pastel goth thing that I think has become a lot more popular. This like the e-girl look is very popular now and that falls into it. Mm-hmm. But the fact that she was doing all this and doing it when she was so young was so impressive to me that she is very much like this is what I do this is what I like this is my brand and I'm not going to you know really make any compromises on that and I I think that that's incredible because we don't often allow the space for musicians especially women musicians Mm -hmm. to be in charge of what they put out and Melanie is very much in charge of all of her content and to to bring it back to the singing competition, that's the kind of thing that I don't think you're allowed to have if you win. Mm-hmm. Losing is probably the best thing for you as an artist in that way. Yeah. I mean, look at like someone like Adam Lambert. Yeah. Right? Like somebody who, you know, really had the voice but couldn't be nearly as flamboyant as he was. Like even his performance on American Idol, people were like, that's too scary. It's too gay. And what did he get to do? Fucking tour with Queen. And so, also just have a successful solo career. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, he did very well for himself by not winning. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to cover K-12 because this is also one of the only examples of a very young creative getting mm-hmm. to direct this. Definitely. Which I think is very impressive because while Melanie is not a teen girl and was not a teen girl when she made K-12, through she was in her early 20s. Her audience is almost exclusively teens. Yes. And even just being college age, it's still like within the realm of how we run things. Like that mm-hmm. it, it's not there's not a clean break between, oh, I'm I'm leaving my 18-year-old or 19-year-old life and now everything's different. No, it's still a gradual progression up until probably like you leave the college age of like 24, 25. Mm-hmm. That's I think where that sort of divide is. Yeah, I agree. And I did do my due diligence, and I checked in with our uh, token hip teen, uh, my nephew Cash. The who, hippest teen I the hippest can ever teens. dream of. Like, <laughs> he, he is the coolest kid. <laughs> but I asked Cash, you know, what do you and people your age feel about Melanie Martinez? And he's like, pretty much across the board, everybody thinks she's awesome. And then I asked why. Mm-hmm. And Cash's response was, I love the way her music feels. It's not that Billie Eilish type of music where it sounds sad and is sad. Most of her music, like Pity Party, is very bubbly but dark as hell. Plus, she dresses so cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about it, too. I love that her music is really 
deep and dark, but is kind of presented with this candy-coated bubblegum sound, Mm -hmm. and that's really appealing to me. Same. Most of my favorite music is happy-sounding, but not. What's that line from Loser? Self-loathing complaint rock you can dance to? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love that shit. (laughs) I love depressing music you can dance to. Mm -hmm. Why do you think I listen to ska? Right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so before we dive in, this came out in 2019, so not very long ago. But it's important to note that this is something that was presented completely different than most of the things we talk about. Definitely. This is not a movie that went to like theaters. This is not something that you could rent. This is a, it's on YouTube. Mm-hmm. See this thing I made. It's it's free. It's super indie in that sense. Mm-hmm. It, I think, ran in theaters for like one day just because. Mm-hmm. But I think it was trying to do maybe like a, an awards run or qualify for things and it has to play theater. Gotcha. Technicalities. I mean, that would make sense. But it definitely is a uh, is a YouTube hit. This isn't mm-hmm. like normal VOD, not normal release. Like nothing about this is typical in any stretch compared to anything we've ever talked about. And I think that's what's going to make this such an interesting conversation. I think so too. But I actually contemplated not doing a retrospective back towards 2019 because it's so recent, Mm -hmm. but 2020 was so long, (laughs) and since we're doing a movie that involves, like, essentially a pop star, and I I put pop star in quotes because that's definitely not correct, but for all intents and purposes, Mm -hmm. I, I figured it was at least appropriate to look at... The movies that were coming out at the same time and looking at the music that was out at the same time and just kind of seeing what the landscape looked like compared to K through 12. So some of the movies that were coming out that are sort of in the realm of this movie, because ever since Netflix and Hulu and all them started buying up films, anytime you look at a list of releases, the list is enormous. Yeah, there's we're suffering right now with an oversaturated market. It's there's a there's a glut. Yeah. Unfortunately, which oh no, there's too much content. I, I it's a huge problem, but not a problem, but it's exhausting. Yeah, I mean there's arguments to both sides of that, but yes. So, anyway, continue. Some of the teen movies that were coming out at the time were Tall Girl. Oh fuck that movie. We'll cover it one day as a uh, a, a a girl of tall persuasion. Uh-huh. Riot Girls, okay, which we watched a few months ago because um, someone had recommended it to yeah, us. Yeah, that's a Ivanka Vukovic movie. Um, she fucking rules. Mm-hmm. A very high femme movie that is not really for teens, but we saw at the drive-in, Hustlers. Oh, Hustlers is awesome. Hustlers is so awesome. And uh, on the spooky side, we actually saw that in a double feature with It Chapter 2. Yeah, I don't know why that was the programming, but yeah, we straight up saw It Chapter 2 and Hustlers it the same drive-in. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I'm not upset. I had fun. I think It Chapter 2 was a bad one to see at the drive-in just because it's, it's so, so dark. dark that you can't see some of the scenes. Yeah. And this is a movie that kind of fits a similar world, and I just really like it. Uh, the Banana Splits movie. Okay, yeah, that fits. Yeah, so th- those are kind of some of the contemporaries, and by mm-hmm. no means is this reflective of anything else that was coming out at the time because there was <laughs> so much weird shit. Yeah. And uh, as far as pop music goes, I don't know. Like, Melanie is not someone who exists on Billboard. None of her stuff has ever charted well, even though it all has massive amounts of streams. 
and most of her songs have gone at least gold based on streams alone. Mm-hmm. But looking at where like the music scene is, I can't help but notice that I think that she influenced a lot of the sound Absolutely. In, like, with the Crybaby album. Because you have songs like Sweet But Psycho by mm-hmm. Ava Max. It's like, yeah, I, I can sort of see where you were pulling from. Mm-hmm. You have Billie Eilish, and that's sort of a contemporary, but not really. Right. And not to not to shame Billie Eilish in any way, but I remember that like Rolling Stone and a bunch of big publications made a big deal out of her directing the video for Zanny, and everyone's like, oh my god, she's like 17, and she's directing her own music video. And it's a perfectly fine music video. It's like a one-shot of her just sitting there. I, that's That's fine. But we didn't make this big hubbub about Melanie doing the same thing on a larger scale. So I can't help right. but feel like the publications are a, a little mm on that one. Mm-hmm. And another song that I think really has a uh, Melanie Martinez influence in a uh, sort of dark wave, almost dark cabaret of the mid-2000s sound, but through a pop filter is Seven Rings by Ariana Grande. Oh, absolutely. Anytime you're combining... I mean, that's a musical theater song. Yes, it is. That's the sound of music. Yes. Um, anytime you put like a kind of a golden age standard and put it through a pop filter with sort of like these lo-fi, lo-fi beats, that is a very Melanie Martinez song. I mean, her biggest song, I would argue, is Pity Party, which samples It's My Party. Uh-huh. And like that was the big one for her out of yeah, everything she's That was out. her big pop one. I think her only bigger song than that at this point is the one that TikTok got their hands on, Playdate. Playdate. Yes. And speaking of Leslie Gore, though, that was also a killer year for Leslie Gore samples because that one woman, Grace, also sampled You Don't Own Me. Oh, yeah, that's right. That came out the same year. Like, Leslie Gore came back in a big way in 2015 (laughs) for some reason. her. (laughs) But, yeah, the the pop scene really feels like it was influenced by Melanie specifically. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely some residual sad that is lingering around from like the Lana Del Rey or Lord era of 2013, 2014. Mm -hmm. But it's been refined in a much more feminine way that's very specific to this. I think something that's also important to note too is that part of the appeal of like Billie Eilish, Lana Del Rey, and... I would I would make the argument for Lord, but not as much for Lord, mm-hmm. is that there is a quality to their voice that is very, very low. Yes. And Melanie is not. No, she's very light sounding. Melanie sings up quite high. Mm-hmm. I mean, she'll use voice effects to have kind of, like she has this running theme where there's sort of this like muffled groan moan sound, but it's supposed to sound very unnatural. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, her singing voice is, like, way up the register. So she's doing this very similar music, but her music is aggressively feminine. Yes. Which I think is really important. And obviously, that's no shade to any of these artists. It's just very important to notice, like, where the distinction is, as well as what are we prioritizing as an industry, Mm -hmm. where we have all of these women making very similar music, and the ones that we've found palatable or the ones that we can pursue and push are the women who sing really, really low and are not aggressively feminine. And I think that's really, really an interesting take. Definitely. Misogyny! <laughs> yes, because 
for real. There's there's really no better word to describe what Melanie does than feminine. And I guess for full disclosure, Melanie does use she, they pronouns. Yeah. So you can use them interchangeably. Yes. That's what she said. Yes. Yeah. But that is still, that that's basically her brand. Mm-hmm. It's just like super frilly, pastel, high, high femme. Mm-hmm. Like very, very girlish in a way, but grown up, it's almost uh, it's almost Lolita in a way, like an American Lolita oh, yeah. aesthetic. For sure. It's, it's, and like calling it kawaii, I think is really disingenuous because it's not kawaii. It's a different style, but that's yeah. sort of what you're, there, there's some, they're playing in the same sandbox here, yeah. but it's, it's not quite there. It definitely does lean more Lolita, more Victorian mm-hmm. than um, it does kawaii. But uh, I mean, obviously because this is an unconventional release, I don't have a friend dango summary, but uh, because Melanie is a pop star, not only is she a pop star, but she is a pop star who has very online fans. Mm-hmm. Her fandom uh, wiki is incredibly detailed <laughs> because the devil works hard, but fandoms work way harder. <laughs> so here's the synopsis of K through 12 for those who have yet to see it. A brave-hearted girl and her charming best friend make a bewitching pair as they embark on a mission to take down the oppressive schooling system of K through 12. Crybaby, a strong and sensitive girl, is sent off to a disturbing sleepaway school that's hidden underneath a grandiose facade. Luckily, she has a sweet and unapologetic best friend who sticks up for her when she gets bullied by the other students, whose brains are under control by the principal and his wicked staff. With the help of the magical friends they meet along the way, as well as an angelic spirit guide, they are able to gain the strength they need to fight off the school's belligerent patriarchal conditioning. Yes. Like, that is that is definitely the best synopsis we've probably ever had for a movie. Because it's clearly written by somebody who loves this material. Correct. Especially because the plot of this movie is not super well-defined, I guess. Because it's mm-hmm. this movie functions in a way similar to how something like Pink Floyd The Wall or Prince's Purple Rain does, which I saw a lot of people compare this movie to those. And Purple Rain in particular is a collection of music videos with a plot sort of there. Mm-hmm. But this is definitely a bunch of music videos with, you know, vignettes between them. Mm-hmm. And that services as the plot. And I don't want to say that the plot's secondary, because it certainly isn't, but... It's not expressed in very strict terms. Agreed. For those who watch this and are still kind of like, what the fuck? (laughs) Um, The songs are supposed to represent the different stages and the different things that you go through when going through school from kindergarten all the way to graduating high school. Mm -hmm. So obviously you're going to encounter different conflict and different traumas, but the important thing is that you're seeing the things that happen throughout your life and how they sort of stack on one another and shape you into who you are once you get to the end of the road. So the things that happen to you in kindergarten have a direct through line to how you act and how you are Mm -hmm. when you're in high school. And I think that's really interesting because that's an aspect that we don't talk about until, you know, much later in life. Mm -hmm. There was a tweet that I saw today that said – if you were told that you were mature for your age, you're talking through family trauma with your therapist now. 
And I was like, why is that so loud? <laughs> why must you make that? Why, why must you make that claim so loudly? <laughs> I'm, I'm standing right here. Um, and, and it's true. There are a lot of things that I think as adults, we're finally starting to talk about where the way we were treated as children has that direct through line. We see this a lot with like formally labeled gifted children mm-hmm. and how that set up like unrealistic expectations. And now we're all a bunch of anxiety balls because we didn't amount to our full potential or whatever bullshit. Yeah. So I think that this concept is is really fucking smart. So do I, especially because it is a sequel to the album Crybaby, which is this character who is essentially just Melanie's alter ego. Mm-hmm. This is the character growing up from the very um, infantile or toddler stage on the Crybaby album now to the going to school stage. And presumably the next album that will be coming out eventually will, you know, continue on from there. Mm -hmm. So like there's an entire Melanie Martinez universe that exists out here. There really is. And again, because these fans put in the work, uh, like all of these characters have their own like little wiki pages. Like they all have backstories. They all have fucking astrology charts set up like dedication is there mm-hmm. like people did the work so if you're interested in any of that i mean her her wiki fandom has all of it yeah it's it's a lot to discuss and this is already going to be an episode with a yeah. lot of dense themes so yeah that's another <laughs> that's your thing. extra that's your homework there you go And of course, but where does our school day begin but on the bus? Mm-hmm. So the first thing that we, we see is is the wheels on the bus song. And I know that is your favorite song. Yes. As a song, this is my favorite one on the album because something that's a lot more apparent, listening to this album a couple times, like doing stuff around the house and then actually sitting down to watch the movie again, because we haven't watched it since it came out. Mm-hmm is that watching the movie and experiencing the music videos is truly the best way to enjoy these songs. Totally. I think that the songs from Crybaby can exist on their own, and they're totally fine. But the songs from K-12 are so much stronger when you have the visuals to go along with it. Yes, it's more works as a unit. Like, everything works together in that sense. And that's not to say that I don't enjoy the songs themselves, because I still do but they're enhanced by the videos. Mm-hmm. Wheels on the Bus, I think, is the best song as a song on the album. Like, as an individual, removed from the album, removed from the movie, I think that song's my favorite. Okay. I, I, think, that's a, I think that's a fair thing. I have a couple other songs that I, I think I like a little bit more, but Wheels on I, the Bus is definitely up I there. have some close, like, second and thirds in there. Mm-hmm. We'll get to those. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of, you know, the the issue that we're unpacking with this song it's one i mean we're getting the discovery that she and her friend angelita both have magic which mm-hmm. is cool but this song deals with sort of bullying and getting picked on i mean they're making fun of her her gap tooth mm-hmm. they're teasing her they're picking on her they're treating her poorly and she's trying to get the bus driver's attention and the bus driver sees what's happening and does nothing just oh yeah does not care it's like basically adult neglect and not only that but there are moments where he's leering at the children Mm -hmm. 
And we see that when they get off the bus and he's like trying to take a look up skirts. And I have to say, I do love the scene of like they flip their skirts on and on their underwear it says fuck and you. Yeah, that's pretty good. And it's so good. And I've heard people criticize this online at a couple different points of being like, if he's looking at your underwear, why would you then show him your underwear? And it's like, it's autonomy. You're choosing yes. to do it because he's going to like be creepy no matter what, but you can send a message by doing this. Plus, there's worse things in the world as a person who wears a lot of short skirts than people seeing your underwear. This is about what you want, not what he wants in this instance. Oh, yeah. It's a moment of reclamation. It's like you and I, I think we've talked about this in the podcast, but you and I both have shirts that say fag or faggot. Mm -hmm. When you wear that shirt... It sucks the power away from somebody who sees us on the street and wants to call us a faggot. Yes, they want to, and uh, it sort of doesn't land very well when I'm like, yeah, I can point at the pink vinyl letters across my torso and be like, bro. Right. It's like, <laughs> It just completely takes the piss out of it. So the same thing happens where this guy's being creepy and acknowledging, hey, we see you mm -hmm. and like, fuck you. Mm -hmm. Like, no, that's reclamation. Like, that's... That's a power move. Yeah. It's, it's like the slut walks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So there, Melanie gets a lot of criticism for her aesthetic, which I really feel is deeply rooted in misog like internalized misogyny and femphobia. Oh, absolutely. Because the thing is, what she's wearing is associated with like children mm -hmm. and like childhood aesthetic or whatever, because we do not allow women to continue wearing things like that mm -hmm. because they are quote unquote too girly too feminine and then we have women who do continue to wear clothes like that and we treat them poorly we judge them mm -hmm. whereas like you can be a little boy and have like a little striped shirt and overalls and then recreate that exact same photo as an adult and no one says and anything. And everyone's like, oh my God, so cute. Right. Especially if they're shorts. The overalls yes. are shorts oh God, and not yeah. pants because it's like, oh, you are, you are killing it. Yeah. But no, there's actually something really interesting about this that I learned years ago, probably on Tumblr, maybe like eight years ago, is that in Japan, the kawaii movement of like Lolita and that aesthetic was actually formed in a very, very similar way where adolescent and teen girls like into their 20s continued to wear these high femme generally childlike dresses because it was unappealing to men right because, because it wasn't sexy to them yes it makes them look childlike and they're like Ugh, no yes and they started to even change their handwriting to be a lot cuter and more fun which you know there's a lot of strict gender issues in other countries that i'm not going to try to unpack but it got so cute that it was allegedly unreadable and was seen as, like, uncouth. Which is something that we do even in America. We have a tendency to tell girls that their handwriting is too cute. Like, mm -hmm. girls who write with bubble letters is a really good example. Yes. Where they get criticized for their handwriting because it looks too girly, and yet, like, no one says anything when men's handwriting is fucking illegible. Oh, God, yes. And, like, that's really ridiculous. Like, I will fully admit my handwriting is completely skewed. I write in italics because <laughs> I got shit on when I was younger by teachers because my writing was originally like very bubble like yes and they were like no you can't write like that mm -hmm. it's like wh who fucking cares if I can read it and you can read it doesn't matter but there's this weird thing in our culture where we try to suck femininity out of it or femininity has to be palatable mm -hmm. and Melanie's brand of femininity is 
hyper femininity. Yes. Anyway, that's Wheels in the Bus. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a cool song. I like it. I think it's I think it's fun. I think so too. Especially because I wouldn't say that most of these album songs are fun because they're not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So it's all downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the next one that we run into is Class Fight, which is her dealing with a girl in class. Um, this character's name is Kelly. And Kelly is sort of our our blonde mean girl who doesn't like Crybaby because Crybaby is different. Mm-hmm. And they are kind of antagonizing each other um, throughout class. And by antagonizing each other, I guess I should specify, Kelly is messing with Crybaby the entire time during class. Correct. And causing her a lot of issue. And then when they finally go outside for recess... She pushes it too far, and Crybaby uses her magical powers, and they're levitating, and she strangles her with her own braids mm-hmm. in, like, a weird... Like, it's very Matilda-esque. Yeah. Because it reminds me of the girl with the braids, and just, like, floating in braids and whatever. But, of course, this is that classic moment that you have in elementary school where somebody has been fucking with you all day, and then you finally do something about it, and now you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. No, I absolutely understand that. That happened to me constantly through school. I got suspended twice because of that. Really? Okay, let's talk about this. Um, there was a kid. He was much larger than me, which says a lot because I've never been small. Mm-hmm. And we were in first grade, and we were like, he was being a jerk. He just kept pushing me down throughout recess, and it was getting really annoying. And we were playing tag, and then he went to tag me by grabbing the back of my head and shoving me headfirst into one of those, like, beams that holds up the swing set. Like, a steel beam. Okay. And in my poorly learned ways from my brother and my father, I lashed out very aggressively, and he was bigger than me, so I didn't know what to do. So I said I was going to stab him. (laughs) Oh, that's such a little kid response, too. Of, yeah. like, not knowing what to do in the moment, so you go for the throat. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's a line in class fight. Is, go for the throat. Is, like, dad said, go, to the f- go for the throat, which um, is reminiscent of... I didn't of... strangle anybody. <laughs> right. But, yeah, because of this, I got suspended and then had to go to anger management for, like, the next year. I got taken out of class and then everyone made fun of me for getting pulled out of class, having to go to anger management... And that made me more upset because they didn't care about what the circumstances were. They were just like, you're a bad kid. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that that happened to you, but I'm glad that you brought up the story because it's also important to note that when Crybaby is saying, you know, dad said go for the throat, she's parroting something that she's overheard from her dysfunctional family because as we learned from the first album, mm-hmm. Crybaby comes from a broken home oh, yeah. with an alcoholic mother who also takes pills. Yeah, and Dollhouse and, basically sets up all yes, of that Yes, and an abusive father. Song. So, you know, this is a child taking what they've learned from home and bringing it to the classroom. And as somebody who used to teach K-8 to mm-hmm. and taught in a school with very high trauma uh, exposure levels this was my every day mm-hmm. where my kids would come in and they would say some of the meanest shit i've ever heard in my life like put youtube commenters to shame mm-hmm. mean shit or have these violent outbursts or you know whatever whatever and i can tell based on what they're saying like you're you, this is a learned behavior mm-hmm. Or this is an emotional response that you can't control yet because we don't teach kids how to control their emotions. No. So it makes perfect sense that 
crybaby is going to lash out at this at this girl who's been fucking with her all day. And it just kind of goes to show how the school system works that rather than having like a restorative justice approach of like, let's talk about the situation and get to the bottom of it, they both go to the office and they're both basically told like, you both suck, fuck off. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that but- that didn't make their conflict go away. Now they're just going to have that conflict and be in separate areas of the room. Yeah. I, and here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to tell you another story about a fight I got into at school. This time was in eighth grade. Um, I was getting made fun of in Spanish class by a bunch of people. And this guy gave me like this just mist of spit right into my face. He was like sitting in front of me, turned around and just boom. It was like a sneeze of spit right in my face. And people said that I threatened to stab him. I said that I didn't. But allegedly I was going to stick him with a pencil. Mm -hmm. And that's what they said to like even the playing field when he tackled me out of my chair and started choking me on the ground. And by the way, no one got suspended because apparently um, I threatened him first and it was self-defense, according to all of his friends. That's the dumbest thing. That's the other thing, too. And then I had to sit right behind him for the next, like, six months. And that's the thing that's so ridiculous that people don't recognize is that, like, kids absolutely will lie to protect their friends. Oh, absolutely. Like, that's... 100% a thing that happens and that's why it's really important that like you really figure out what's going on and you also can't not to say that like you can't believe children because like that's also like a really problematic thing but like you can't just take it at face value and do no additional investigation like Mm -hmm. you just you cannot do that when it comes to children you have to like talk about things and like I think about like the satanic panic right of the 80s yes And it was basically a bunch of psychologists that were spoon-feeding kids' lines, and then there was no interrogation of it at all. It was like they just said these things, and because the kids knew that it made them, like, people happier when they gave, like, the more ridiculous stories, Mm -hmm. then they just kept getting more and more extreme, and people just believed them, like, did absolutely no work to look into these claims. Yeah, especially if you're just screwing with adults. Yeah, like, it, like, it's bananas. F- when you're a kid, that's funny. It's hilarious. Like, it's so funny because it's one of those few times where you experience power mm-hmm. or where you you are in control of a situation. Yes. Kids don't get that. So when you give them that outlet for something like this, like, it, it it's, it's a thing. I think you being a trauma-informed teacher is going to make this for a very interesting episode <laughs> that I don't think it's a discussion that anybody's had about this movie properly. Probably not. This is probably going to be the most in-depth discussion about this movie that probably exists. Great. I'm excited. <laughs> because there's there's actually not a lot written about this. And, I mean, we'll get on why that is later. But um, the next thing that happens is actually away from the kids. Mm-hmm. It deals with the teachers at the principal. Yes. Because we are presented with a teacher who is transitioning and the principal is like, absolutely not. And they fire her. Mm-hmm. As the trans host, what are your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, that's legit. Mm-hmm. The principal's a bad guy. He does bad things. This is an ugly world full of ugly people in a pastel dream. Mm-hmm. But that's some real shit. You said you're dressing as a woman now. Yes, I'm transitioning. Look, transitioning. No, no, I can't permit you to influence the children with this ridiculous behavior. And so what? 
From now on, you want us to address you as... Miss Harper, correct. <laughs> the kids really connect with me. I love my job, and I'd really like to stay, but I need to be my most authentic self. I am a woman. A woman. <laughs> you hear this? Mr. Harper, you're fired. I read a criticism from... A, uh, I don't know, I think they were like 16 or 17, and they were trans, mm-hmm. and they were criticizing that moment of like, Melanie had the opportunity to show something, you know, empowering and great, and she didn't, and I know this is something that we talk about a lot, especially with like episodes, like just one of the guys. Mm-hmm. Presenting something horrible is not endorsing it if it's being presented with accuracy. Yeah. And this is a situation that is unfortunately very true. Oh, and yeah. This I've, happen- had it, I've had it several times. This happens a lot. And I, I can say even from our own experiences together, I have watched parents pull their children away from us when we're walking. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. There are a lot of people in this world who think that queer people and especially trans people and particularly trans women even more so trans women of color Mm -hmm. are unsafe to be around children Mm -hmm. like that is a thing to the point where one of the exercises that i do when i do lgbtq plus safe zone training is i give people a worksheet and it's like a it's it's like buying your privilege Mm -hmm. and everybody is given like you go in groups it's like an icebreaker activity but everybody is given like a set amount of money, like $10 or whatever. And you're given this really long list of privileges and you can spend the money to like, what privileges do you want? And one of the privileges on there is the ability to teach children without people thinking you are going to harm them. Mm-hmm. That is a privilege. Yeah. Because the unfortunate reality is as a queer teacher, <laughs> people are super not cool when they find that out. Mm -hmm. I totally understand that. And K-12 is unpacking a lot of trauma and a lot of things that are broken about school systems, and that's one of them. Yeah, and even just in a narrative sense, you kind of need that moment because the principal's a bad guy, and if you don't see him doing bad things, how do you know he's a villain when he inevitably gets torn to pieces? Right, right. Like, it has to exist, unfortunately. some Someone is going to be the victim of him doing bad stuff over the course of this film. And I think that it's interesting that she chose this angle because the the villainy that we see from the principal is there's... The kids are all given pills that essentially turn them into, like, gender-conforming robots, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term, just, you know, keeping everybody good little boys and good little girls. And they, it's very uh, disturbing behavior, which I don't think you've seen. No. Yeah, it's a very disturbing behavior and this idea of like assimilation is a good thing and everyone needs to be the same and you need to adhere to like very strict gender rules. So he's doing that with the children, but to show him also being that terrible to an adult shows that like this villainy is not just because he hates kids. He's just a bad fucking dude. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that absolutely. I think that's really important, and I'm I'm glad that that's there, and I'm also glad that Melanie was unafraid to be like, "This is still fucking happening." Mm-hmm. Be- absolutely. I I think especially 
because we're all so online now and we do have our online communities and especially with the pandemic with people not leaving their house mm-hmm. i think people forget sometimes like this is the circumstances when you are forced to be in a bubble that isn't your safe space mm-hmm. like hey guess what interacting with people that don't roll in your normal circles is is not always good sometimes always it's great real shit yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all right let's go down the line what, what what's our next trauma to unpack here great i don't remember <laughs> Uh, the next one is actually one of my favorite ones. Okay. Which is show and tell. Yes. Show and tell, I think, is really interesting because what she is doing is, you know, talking about how when you're young, you're sort of manipulated and made to do what you're told. Mm-hmm. Like, and and it's juxtaposed with her in like a marionette space in mm-hmm. like a box on display. Yes. And performing for other people. And then every once in a while, like it'll cut and it's like an actual like porcelain marionette doll that looks like her. Yes. Which is really interesting. And this is one that I think I like the most probably because it hits me the most. Uh-huh. Because I know like I've I've joked on here like as I've gotten older, it's fine. And like I'm... Maybe and I'm not fine. Let's be real. Maybe I'm I'm not fine. <laughs> Maybe you just think you're fine. Maybe I just think that I'm fine. Maybe this will be the thing I talk about with my therapist next. But growing up, I was always that kid who was made to perform. Yes. Oh my gosh, it's so cute. Sing this song. Do this thing. We used to do, uh, we would sell candy bars, like the fundraiser candy bars mm-hmm. for Baton every year. And it was to the point where I was like writing jingles and coming up with like different ways to sell myself. So I would be standing outside of a Jewel Osco or a Piggly Wiggly in the fucking freezing cold singing jingles to convince people to buy candy to send me to nationals when I was like seven. This isn't nearly as much fun as cookie time. No, it's not nearly as much fun as cookie time when you're fucking freezing, but you've got to do it because otherwise, like, I was a poor kid. I couldn't just, like, go to nationals. I had to fundraise my ass off, and that sucks. Mm -hmm. It sucks when you're that young to be, like, in performance mode all the fucking time. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And I think this actually works outside the context of the movie even because I think this has a, a duality for how the music industry treats people. Uh, that's a great metaphor. Mm-hmm. And it makes perfect sense that at the end of this performance and she's dropped, she gets a nosebleed and like her guts fall out and it's this really aggressively morbid thing. And I think it's a big sign of like, hey, when you're on display like this all the time and when people have access to you at all times, it fucking tears you apart from the inside. Mm-hmm. Especially because all of the children in this classroom are uh, almost feral. It's like that scene in Freaks. Yeah, That's the best way I can describe it. And, like, yeah. obviously that's not to compare people that are acting crazy to, like, actual, you know, people who worked as Sideshow Freaks. I'm, I'm saying specifically in that horror movie, a scene that is supposed to be horrifying, mm-hmm. that's what these kids are definitely channeling. Yeah. And this movie really is an amalgamation of so many influences and homages that I wouldn't be shocked if there's stuff in there that is a specific homage to something as old as Freaks. Oh, totally. I feel like Melanie is a pretty well-versed cinephile. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, so after that, obviously, you've got to go to the nurse's office. Mm-hmm. And the nurse's office scene um, has some really nice choreography. 
great costuming. I love the nurse costumes and I all love of their... the costuming in the whole movie. Yeah, but the, the whole movie is just beautiful to look at. This movie, this this scene in particular has some of the best dance choreography in the film because the choreography of this movie is not really a lot of dancing. Mm-hmm. It's more of just choreographed movement. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. They're making pictures with their bodies. Correct. Is what is happening. Like this is a very... Uh, it almost moves more like synchronized swimming. Yes, it's very synchronized swimming or the type of choreography that's usually associated with competitive palm dancing mm-hmm. because you can make shapes and you can make things with your pom-poms, mm-hmm. whereas in this, they're doing it with limbs and color and what have you. Yes. A lot of really striking visuals with the choreography, the choreographed movement. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So after this, uh, this is our first introduction to... Lilith, who comes down to kind of rescue her because the scene uh, Crybaby is can like constrained the whole time, which yes. I think is like a very nurse's office thing to do. Like they can't really do much <laughs> for you. Like they can't give you medication. They can't do a lot of things. Just like so put a Band-Aid on it, call it a day. Put a, Here's another ice pack, kid. Like, yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely sort of that uh sort of that sort of thing is what's happening here but just keep her restrained and shut the fuck up like that's kind of yeah. what's happening and, and, and nurses offices are really there for checking lice more than anything honestly <laughs> yeah so uh you know lilith comes and helps her escape and that's you know when we recognize that she has a spirit guide that is kind of getting her through all of this mm-hmm. and i like that it's something that's a little bit otherworldly because I think all of us have that otherworldly thing in our life that helps us get through it. So for some people it's like religion, but for a lot it's music mm-hmm. or performance mm-hmm. or expression, like something that is not tangible. And I think that seeing it through like Lilith is is a really cool way as to a, do it. As a visual metaphor. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Agreed. So after that, we then go to another one of my favorites, which is the drama club scene. I love the drama club scene. All right, everyone, please turn to your scripts, look to page two, and find the roles to which you've been assigned. Right, so about that. Um, Is it possible to get assigned a different role? Maybe one that's not so domestic? Like a film director or the president of the United States. Harlot, perhaps? (laughs) As a song, I think this carries on a little too bit long on the album. Agreed. It is a bit long. But yes, no, I love this scene. Yeah. The drama club scene is essentially pushing for gender roles, pushing for domestic living, Mm -hmm. um, that sort of thing. What what if a woman wants to be president? (laughs) Ha! <laughs> a woman president. Right. And I've heard criticisms, especially of this scene, that it feels very heavy handed. But Melanie's fan base is very young. Yes. They skew incredibly young. And we've had this conversation numerous times before. You kind of have to spoon feed it a little bit mm-hmm. when you have the younger audiences because they're not picking up on the subtext or the nuance quite yet. Like we haven't trained our brains to look for that sort of thing yet. Yes. And there definitely are parts that read as like a little on the nose, but considering the fan base, that makes absolute perfect sense, Mm -hmm. especially because this movie is not on the nose with like its imagery or its metaphors. Mm -hmm. So it's really doing both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, talking about not wanting to get involved in drama 
not like as in theater, but as in like save the drama for your mama, mm-hmm. like gossip and that kind of drama. Yes. And oh God, I, I can't put it into words the best way. BJ, um, for, former guest Jordan Cruciola. <laughs> what, how, <laughs> yes. what is Jordan's thing about uh, Taylor Swift is producing a gateway for like young suburban feminists or something? Yes. Um, so Jordan has a theory that I tend to subscribe to that for all of the criticisms that you can make about Taylor Swift, and which there are many, mm-hmm. the one thing that is very true is that Taylor Swift sort of works as like a Trojan horse to getting feminism and progressive ideals into households that are not going to teach them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah. And I am not positive how much she's trying to do that specifically but i believe that as like Mm -hmm. even just a stepping stone into into the progressive ideals of like proper feminism Mm -hmm. yeah i like that and melanie is a a a lot more aggressive version of that for young audiences where there's no spoon feeding it's like a food fight just mess everywhere yes (laughs) i agree completely i mean it's to the point where there's a moment in the play, which is, you know, the the music section of it, where Melanie stops and goes, you're being brainwashed and, mm-hmm. like, yells at these kids. And in the context of K-12, they're being brainwashed by the principal with the pills. But in the context of the world, people are believing the things that they've been told to believe. They're not thinking for themselves. They're mm-hmm. parroting things that they've overheard from parents or teachers or the media or whatever yes and this moment is like think for yourselves you're being brainwashed Mm -hmm. like how often have we heard from cash about like his classmates who come to school and are like trump 2020 and it's like dude you're in eighth grade you can't fucking vote yeah because their parents are adamantly for trump and also probably like use gay slurs and say the n-word and are just generally awful ohioan people yes like that is a learned behavior and this is about that Mm -hmm. and following this scene we get into i think while the song is not my favorite the visuals are probably my favorite Mm -hmm. and before the song happens we have crybaby and her friends you know hanging out and talking and they open the conversation with did you know that we have more than one hole down there? Yes. Were they uh, playing a weird version of tennis with a slow-moving ball and they're sitting? Yeah. <laughs> um, but they, they're talking about, you know, the fact that there are a lot of people who believe that you only have one hole down there. Pee and poo come out there. of the same hole. N- n- we're no. like we're like birds well we have a cloaca well that's the thing is they're like <laughs> we have a butthole too like it's one of those things like no there's like your urethra and your vagina and your butt like you yes. got all those holes there's lots of holes and i just i have to share this story oh god when i was in college i want you to hear that word one more time college mm-hmm. as in everyone here is old enough to vote and in many cases old enough to legally drink or sign up for the army and Uh go to war Uh college age okay i had a really shitty professor who was a super shitty misogynist i hated him so much and i was at lunch with a bunch of my friends 
and you know, we come from all over the place. I've talked about it before. My college was in rural Illinois, which means we had a combination of kids from the city and kids from the farm. And Mm -hmm. this particular kid was from Nauvoo, Illinois. And for those who don't know, Nauvoo, Illinois is one of the landmarks for the Mormon church. It is a Joseph Smith official, like, oh no, I am a-okay here. So there's a huge Mormon population. So it is a, even if you're not Mormon, it is an incredibly repressed area. And I'm talking about this teacher and I'm just like throwing a fit about him. Like, yeah, he's fucking asshole. I bet he probably thinks we piss and bleed out the same hole. And I watch my friend who, by the way, was on a full ride scholarship. Mm-hmm. College age, full ride scholarship. Mm-hmm. And I watch him do that thing where you are chewing and you slowly, slowly stop chewing because you are processing information. And I look at him and I went, until I said that, did, did you think that I could piss and bleed out the same hole? And he just looks at me and goes, uh, well, you can't. I mean, in in the wrong way, you can. I mean, yeah, in the wrong way. Like, I can absolutely. <laughs> he is stored in the balls. <laughs> Babies are kept in the stomach. Like, I could, like, my brain short-circuited the way that it kind of is doing now even doing this. So this moment, well, I know there are plenty who probably are like, that's stupid. There are plenty of people in this world that don't know that. And it really reinforces my point earlier about how teendom and early 20dom there's not a clean break no there's no, no, they're no. very connected still yeah so they have this conversation and then that leads into the song strawberry shortcake mm-hmm. in which melanie converts herself into those barbie doll cakes where you shove a barbie doll in a cake and you turn the cake part into the skirt and then you serve the skirt which i did not know was a thing until we were watching this and you went oh yeah you didn't know this i was like no i've never known this was a thing i didn't go to parties where this was a was a cake process it's a it's a it's a pretty popular one and there's plenty of like tutorials on tiktok and pinterest and how to Mm. make the skirts really special um but she does that and this is also when we are now realizing that Melanie's becoming more of an adult character, like Crybaby's becoming more of an adult character, mm-hmm. because she is topless. Yes. Like, she has pasties. Nippleless. Yeah, she has pasties to cover her nipples, so she's nippleless. But she's, like a Barbie. Yes, just like a Barbie. And she's in this cake thing, and all of the dancers around her are all boys, and the whole thing is about when you get to that age when suddenly boys are noticing things about you, and mm-hmm. they're coming after you. And it is... The musical equivalent to the speech that Margaret White gives to Carrie when she gets her period. Mm-hmm. But like, oh, they're, they're sniffing dogs and they'll smell the blood and they'll come after you. Like, it's <laughs> that energy, but a song. Yes. And this is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie for a lot of reasons. One, the Marie Antoinette wig is such a nice touch as they, like, feast on the cake of the mm-hmm. dress. And I love that the boys get sick. I love that it's an entire conversation about, you know, consent. And Mm -hmm. because they did not adhere to that, 
they get sick. Mm -hmm. Like there's so many moving pieces to this specific scene that I love. Yeah, it's definitely, I'm glad you pointed out the the Marie Antoinette angle because it really is like, let them eat cake, see what fucking happens. And they do. I hope they choke. Yeah. This is this is the fuck around and find out song. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's that's what this is. It's great. Yeah. So that leads us into one of your favorite visuals, which is the lunchtime friend song, which has a food fight. Yes. But it also has all of the wigs. Oh my god. So the food fight scene is is very fun. I like it. Uh, it also introduces the trans character in the friend group, mm-hmm. and like that's really cool. Uh, I don't know anybody in this movie's name other than Crybaby. Her name is Fleur. Great. Like Fleur de Lis. Gotcha. Yeah. So she is at a table with Kelly and all of her friends, and they all look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. The visual is like the popular kids in Hairspray, but my brain goes to the Debbies in the oblong. Because that's exactly what they're doing. Like oh they my God, all have right? the same, like they have hair hopper, like blonde wigs. And they're all wearing matching clothing. And it really is just like, Debbie, Debbie, hey, Debbie. Like, it's so much that energy. (laughs) I miss the oblong so much. You miss those 10 episodes. So do I. God, it was a really good show, though. (laughs) That show was wild as fuck. (laughs) Um, So, yes, they they noticed that Fleur has um, similar magic power. So at this point, Crybaby and Angelita have also brought on Magnolia and Celeste. Those Mm -hmm. are their two other friends. Yes. And then they bring Floor in as well. And it's, you know, because they all have magic and there's a food fight and whatever. And this song is very much about, like, noticing that person who is in with a crowd that they don't need to be in. And the stress that you put yourself under of, you know, essentially Gretchen Wienersing it. Mm -hmm. Like, of needing to be in with that group because you don't know where else to go. Better to be in the plastics and hating it than not at all yes yes and you need somebody to tell you like it's okay to leave well especially because this actress is trans that adds a whole different layer of filling this role that you want to fill as like a trans person in adhering to the expectations of what people want out of you yeah it's there's a lot of things i can say about that and i think think it will actually be more helpful if we go to the next song because mm-hmm. the next song is orange juice yes and orange juice is a song about eating disorder mm-hmm. specifically what would appear to be like bulimia and yes. and that message is even louder when this song is surrounding a trans character and a trans actress because of that standard of beauty and that expectation yeah so uh, i mean i guess this is a good a time as any to drop a nugget that i wasn't planning on on, on sharing today but i mean you here never it is. have to yeah but it seems appropriate okay if if you feel comfortable sharing oh this will not means. be the last time in this episode <laughs> everybody know. got everybody got a warning at the top they they know what they're in for <laughs> so i had an eating disorder for about 11 years because no one ever believes me when i say it but I was a fat kid growing up. You were the cutest fat kid. I had very chubby cheeks. You looked like you were trying really hard to be in heavyweights, and I love it so much. I was every kid in heavyweights. I know. Especially Salami Sam. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, 
I'm sorry. I feel like like I need to specify because people are probably like, wow, what an insensitive bitch. BJ's laughing. No, we joke about this all the time. We have this conversation all the time. <laughs> yes, and I will we'll probably cover heavyweights on the Patreon this summer. But Yeah, for sure. I had an eating disorder for eleven years and it's pretty well managed right now. I don't have any problems with it. Mine was anorexia, not bulimia. But it started because I was a fat little boy and I got made fun of for being a fat little boy and it was awful. After I transitioned, it sort of warped in a way where I equated being thin with being small with being feminine. Yes, it's the I, the whole women are supposed to take up less space. Yes, because also after being a fat kid and like losing all my weight, I got jacked. Mm-hmm. I was super ripped in high school. And then all those muscles I let wither away, and then I just became skinny, like rail skinny. And I thought that's what you're supposed to do because I wanted to wear cute feminine clothes. Mm -hmm. And if I had put on weight, I wouldn't be able to fit in any of those things. Because even when I was at my skinniest, I was still like a size 10 dress. Oh, because you're a giant. Because I'm huge. I got like wide shoulders, uh, a bigger rib cage, like Mm -hmm. just bone wise, I'm bigger. Mm -hmm. You and I have talked about this extensively off mic, but the clothing options you get when you go up into plus size are a lot more limited and it doesn't really fit me right. And it's also style wise, not your aesthetic at all. It becomes really, really matronly and really... That's because it's all built to hire like a tummy that I don't have. Right. None of this stuff is meant for someone who's tall and skinny. It's meant for like, you know, more hips, more ass, more thighs, more boobs. None, all this stuff I don't have. Yeah. So this scene in particular, it really strikes a chord. And like the idea of using orange juice as a metaphor of easing the bitter taste of throwing up because th- that's what you do. You drink orange juice because it doesn't taste as gross on the way back up. Yeah. It Ugh. helps cover the bile. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's fucking genius. And especially there's this, there's this imagery that she opens up her head and she takes a solid orange and puts it in her head and then it comes out of her mouth mm-hmm. and it's juice. Like she, turns her head into a juicer Mm -hmm. and that visual is so striking because you're recognizing that that's what's happening when you have bulimia is that it's the thought that Mm -hmm. is controlling your action and turning this into this liquid form yes and the moment where they take their own eyes out yes so following this song they take their own eyes out and they switch eyes and the intention is I want you to be able to see yourself the way that I can see you. Yes. Because, because just just body dysmorphia. Mm-hmm. You, like you, you cannot. You cannot see yourself the way other people see you mm-hmm. when you have body dysmorphia. And that's such a beautiful visual. And, and it's so it's, simple. It's so And so simple. easy. Like why did no one really think about this before? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of those moments where like there are some standout moments in – K through 12, but orange juice is, in my opinion, like that is the most probably important moment because it is so well-crafted and Mm -hmm. so well thought out and I think can resonate with a lot of people. I agree. Want to know something I learned about bodies? They don't define us. We are in our bodies. They're just temporary. 
I know it seems impossible, but try not to expect shallow people to love you. They don't even have the capacity to understand how amazing you are. And we all have to learn how to love ourselves without the approval of others. I know. It's just extremely overwhelming when everyone around you is making you feel like you aren't good enough. As if you're not deserving of the same kind of love if you're different. Everyone's deserving of love. Everyone. The next song that we walk into, I'm going to kind of breeze past because it's the detention song and it's not super interesting to me. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, we're this, starting. This episode's going to run long. <laughs> yeah. I, I got to cut time where I can. Uh, this one, like, it's not It's not super interesting. Um, it deals with sort of, you know, getting in trouble and, like, having to process when you get in trouble, especially when you get in trouble for things that aren't really your fault. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. In this case, a food fight. Yeah. Which actually was their fault. They did start the food fight. Yeah. <laughs> um, the next aspect of it, there's this ongoing thing where Crybaby receives a love letter and they're trying to figure out, you know, who sent the love letter and she thinks she knows who it is. But then this guy who's essentially like the jockey popular boy. He's he's the principal's son, yeah. isn't he? Which by this point, the principal has been torn limb from limb by the students. Yeah, they ate him. And they replaced him with his son who's just here now. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, he says that he's the one who wrote the note. Spoiler alert, he didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a song called like High School Sweethearts. And which is very nice. It's a very nice song. I really like the set design for this one because it reminds me a lot of classic black and white things like A Trip to the Moon. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a really good comparison to that. Is this also the song that has a uh, Melanie Martinez version of the ex-Tina outfit? Yes. Yes. It's <laughs> very cute and the idea of growing up through school as this movie and album goes along, I can't help but think that this is very deliberately an ex-Tina outfit. Mm-hmm. It's very much so that. And we also start to see, because there's there's side things going on with a lot of her friends, mm-hmm. but this is where the biology teacher is flirting with Angelita. Yes. And that is a very, very real thing that mm-hmm. we don't talk about a lot. No. Um, that there is this weird power dynamic and there are movies that make jokes about it. Like even Juno makes jokes about it, which I love. Mm -hmm. I love that movie, but like that's like a weird thing to navigate. Um, Loser handles it very well, but those are college. That's college. Yeah. yeah, But you know, knives and knives and skin Mm -hmm. has that. My mortal enemy Greece has that with Vince Fontaine. Uh-huh. But there's this thing that pops up in a lot of media that has been weirdly normalized where people like, oh, the teacher, oh, 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 teacher's pet. Oh. Yeah. And it's, it's a very uncomfortable moment because I definitely went to school with girls that I knew were actively like trying to seduce their teachers. I, I also did. And I also definitely had an eighth grade teacher when I was in seventh grade who didn't return the next year for eighth grade. We had a football coach who I believe was the same reason. Yeah, not great. Uh, not a good situation. And saying it for the record here and now, uh, it is never the student's fault. No, they no, were never not. asking for it. They were never the seductress. You're a fucking adult. Correct. So, 
So yes, uh, basically <laughs> she gets brainwashed and the teacher's about to literally dissect her. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, cut you open and root around and fuck everything up inside you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Real, real quality stuff. Yeah. So that's the stuff that's, you know, going on leading into high school sweethearts. So we're, we're tackling some real darkness here. Mm-hmm. So we're getting towards the, the end of the movie and... Um, they're all trying to escape the school. They've all made this plan to escape and mm-hmm. they're going to go to the, this big dance and it's going to be, you know, this whole thing. And Crybaby realizes that because she accepted the invitation from this, you know, principal son, that it's kind of like messed up the plan and now she's got to like fix it. Mm-hmm. And that leads us into the song Recess. And leading into that, um, what Crybaby does is she changes her appearance and she seduces this boy and then locks him in a closet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to me, this is a really interesting song, and especially the visuals, because there's a point, I think, that happens in every woman's life, whether or not they choose to embrace it or use it to their advantage. But we all, at one point or another, realize that our body, our being, our sexuality, our femininity, all of those things can be weaponized. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that we all use it, but it's a very weird realization to have. Mm-hmm. I remember mine happened very, very young because my boobs came very young. Mm-hmm. And I realized quite quickly, fortunately, in the, you know, in the confines of people my own age. Mm-hmm. But I realized that, like, I didn't have to do anything. My existence, like, made people weird around me. Yeah. And I think this song kind of talks about that aspect that we don't ever want to talk about, that we don't ever want to address. No, I agree. Especially because... um Something that we haven't really addressed is the costume design specifically for this Mm -hmm. movie where it's gendered clothing in color, but not in cut. No. Where all of the, you know, the boys, quote unquote, in some cases of this movie are wearing like Peter Pan collars with frills that is like pink and blue. Everything is extremely feminine, even for the male students. And the only guys in this movie that aren't dressed like that are the principal and his son. Mm-hmm. And they are the toxic masculinity because they're dressed, you know, in suits and suspenders and very, very classic masculinity. Yeah. And for any other guy here, like, they're innocent. That's what the costume design is basically showing us. Like, they've been brainwashed. They're making mistakes. But... They're not bad people like these guys are. Yeah. And I think that's a really important distinction because it shows that all of these things that we're dealing with, they're all learned behaviors Mm -hmm. and they're all teaching people to fall in line into a system that existed before any of them were born. Mm -hmm. Like you were set up to follow this path and it's really, really hard to break away from those paths and to you have to dismantle the whole system. That's why, like, with this song, they're basically going to have to destroy the fucking school. Yes. They can't change it. It's gotta it's gotta get torn down because it, it's broken beyond repair. Mm-hmm. And at the dance, they are forced to dance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
there, there's Tonight You Belong to Me, though personally the Cat Power Eddie Vedder version of that song is my favorite. And then my dude, Tiny Tim, shows up for a hot sack. <laughs> Tis very true. Tis very true. Yes. So those are the songs they're listening to, which as far as their placement as like a soundtrack that Melanie didn't write, that's really specific because these are a very itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini kind of bubblegum song of a bygone era when America was a lot more um, homogenized. You had a lot of these mental hygiene films that they were showing to students about how a proper way to act as a kid. Especially when it comes to the ones dealing with menstruation. We watched a couple of them together. Mm -hmm. And I love that all of them sort of follow this, your period is going to make you feel terrible. Make sure that you're well bathed and put on your best face. It'll make it feel all better if you look your best. Yes. And it's like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, it's basically <laughs> a bunch of propaganda for how the American household should function. Yeah. And it was all learned by like World War II war propaganda. Like uh-huh. that's basically the mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm, of Americana mm-hmm. that exists in this film that they're trying to dismantle. Totally. Yeah, it, it's, it's it's exactly what's happening here. Because these are decades old institutions. Like yeah. that that's how it is. If you go oh, back centuries old at this point. Well, yeah, especially, but like if you go back to something like FDR, there's all oh, people like to bring up these these old pictures of him as a kid where he's wearing like a dress and it's like, yeah, little boys wore dresses back then. That was normal. Shit, JFK wore a dress. Like that famous picture of, or not JFK, but JFK's son wore a dress like the day his dad was shot. Yes, or pink didn't used to be a feminine color. No, it It was was a masculine masculine color color because of its association with red. Yeah, like it was baby red. Yes, so the institutions as a whole are centuries old, but the very specific ones we're talking about are really old, but not as old as you think. Yeah, no, they're like a couple generations removed, like our grandparents. Like the boomers. Yeah. Yeah. People are still alive who existed in these worlds. Mm-hmm. Ugh, gross. Well, th- I mean, the movie ends, as we said, the school gets destroyed. It gets put in a giant bubble. It just floats away. It just floats away and, like and Glinda the Good Witch. So Melanie and her crush, Ben, have to leap from like the balcony of the school as it's floating away. Mm-hmm. And then the crystal's sun... Floats off into God knows where, and everyone escaped, and that's basically where the movie ends, but it ends on a cliffhanger. Yeah, the cliffhanger being that Lilith shows back up with a door and invites everyone to come inside, and we don't know if Crybaby takes the step because it ends before we find out. Yes, and... Melanie has already stated that her third album will also feature a movie to accompany it. Mm -hmm. So we'll get a continuation of this story, and that's awesome. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that this movie, you know, it's, it's it's a concept album, and the movie is concept art, absolutely. Yeah. And it's concept art not in the sense of like oh this is the idea that i have for something bigger like it's conceptual like it Mm -hmm. is it's very high concept yes it's Um, got a lot of subtleties mm -hmm. a lot of homages a lot of metaphors there's so much to unpack in this film and normally we like to focus on characters but Definitely felt like going by a song-by-song basis was a better way to tackle the many themes of this movie. Yeah, because there's just so many things happening that if you would have done character-by-character, we would have been doing each character through each song. Like, that would have been a nightmare. Um, 
there is a really cool review of K through 12 that I liked from Gizmodo that I want to read some segments of because I agree with them completely. Mm-hmm. So they say, what's interesting about K through 12's ideas about power is how its younger characters' dynamics drastically shift as they arrive to school and begin interacting with the teachers and other authority figures. The issues Crybaby has with the group of popular mean girls doesn't disappear once they settle into their class, but they're superseded by more complicated problems, like the way that K through 12's faculty beats students or sends them off drugged and mentally reprogrammed. The nature of Crybaby's magic is never really explained, but it feels very much like an organic part of K through 12's world in large part because of the dreamlike way that things are presented. When Crybaby is caught levitating and using her pigtails to choke a bully who threatened to kill her, both girls are dragged to the principal's office, where Crybaby is able to clairvoyantly witness a meeting in which the principal humiliates and fires Ms. Harper, the teacher, in the process of transitioning. By going a step further and pushing her consciousness into the principal's mind, Crybaby is able to make her case to him in front of a jury of wigged men that he's actively hurting the people he's meant to support with the power he's been given. Throughout the film, Crybaby makes a number of attempts to implore those around her that they don't have to live in constant fear and pain if only they choose not to participate in the systems as it's established. While most people rebuff her efforts, they're not for nothing, because gradually Crybaby comes across others who can use their magic at will and understand that the change she wants to fight can become a reality. Yeah, that's a good longer summarization of the film. And I like that he's acknowledging that the magic that's presented belongs to the people who are willing to not fall into these systems. Mm -hmm. By not falling into these systems, you get to experience magic. Yeah. That's a beautiful fucking image. For real. And when we watched this movie the first time, pretty much we both, I think we both walked away saying like, okay, so this is like, a but I'm a cheerleader coat of paint in a Tim Burton world doing the craft. Mm-hmm. And I like this movie much better than either of the craft movies. <laughs> just just saying. Yeah. But I love the idea of the magic that exists in this world so organically because there's certainly like this air of Alice in Wonderland or this general otherworldliness that is never fully explained. Like, mm-hmm there's a little bit of chaos and that's just par for the course because you know that that's the world here here and there but this movie captures the feeling of a fairy tale in a modern setting like not a lot of other movies i've seen can certainly not ones that like aren't directed by like guillermo del toro or something yeah that's actually i think a really fair comparison um, the end of this article uh, contains something that we absolutely have to unpack and we didn't want to do it at the front of the episode because I think that it takes away from the conversation, but this conversation is necessary. Mm-hmm. So the end of this article, despite the fact that it was published when K-12 came out, has an editor's note afterwards that says... We appreciate our commenters bringing the allegations against Martinez from a few years ago to our attention. We were unfortunately not aware of this before publishing and take these topics very seriously. We promise to do more thorough research next time. Uh Okay, so, all right, strap in. Um, For those that are unaware, 
a few years back, allegations came out that Melanie Martinez had raped a former friend of hers named Timothy Heller. Um, despite the name, Timothy Heller is a cis woman and her name just is Timothy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's only important because a lot of times people have read this story as thinking that Melanie had raped a man because of the name, but it, it was a woman. When the allegations came out, um, Melanie's response was admittedly not great. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, she never said no to anything that we were doing. I would never do anything with somebody that wasn't fully consensual, which admittedly is poor wording because when you say like she didn't say no then it implies like well you did do something yeah and i will admit my first instinct was believe survivors i was Uh like that sucks that somebody that i'm a fan of is a shitty person and that sucks yeah i remember that that was pretty much the consensus from everyone at the time there was a lot of videos and pictures floating around from fans who were felt betrayed and were like burning Burning merch, um, you know, putting them through paper shredders, like all Mm -hmm. sorts of stuff happened. And then I like didn't really pay attention to it. I didn't hear much about it. Mm -hmm. And then I saw that she was working on K through 12. And I was like, that's weird. Because, you know, quote unquote, cancel culture. It's like, that's very strange that like, not only is she making this, but she's also getting a lot of, you know, money to make this. Like movies are not Mm -hmm. cheap. And I started doing some digging, and yet again, because the devil works hard, but fandoms work harder, mm-hmm. I started seeing more and more things pop up on Tumblr and YouTube and Twitter that was like, this didn't happen. This is untrue. This is a false allegation. Mm-hmm. But the problem is when the allegations first hit, it was all over like major media outlets like Rolling Stone, Newsweek, like big, big, big named places were like Melanie Martinez accused of rape. It was everywhere. And then no one followed up in the years that have passed. They they metaphorically burned the goods. Yes. Which is like, oh, we don't need to follow up on it. The The bridge is burned. Yes. Now... I'm not going to sit here and try to say that, like, I know with 100% certainty this did not happen. I'm not going to do that. However, comma, and it's a big-ass comma, there have been a lot of things put together in the last two years that point to this being a false allegation, Uh that this is somebody who for lack of a better explanation, wanted attention. Mm. I'm again saying this with alleged. I'm not making any blanket statements. I'm not saying that any of this is 100% a fact. Like, for legal purposes, this is a joke. Like, it's not a joke. But if you are interested at all in unpacking all of this, there is a YouTuber uh, named Piper Sweeney who has put together hours of information that pretty much aligns to this is this isn't true that this didn't happen that this is a consensual act and somebody who's very upset that their friend became famous and they didn't mm-hmm. and they thought this would help their career and it didn't and i'm pretty sure since then Timothy has basically gone back on their original claims yeah 
So the point of this podcast is not to like this episode is not a Melanie Martinez's innocent Timothy Heller lied podcast. Like that's not what we're doing here. No. What we are saying is that this situation is very complicated and piggybacking off of the conversations that we had during our promising young woman episode. These situations are not black and white when Mm -hmm. people so desperately want them to be, and they're not. And with all of the additional information that has come out, things from, you know, the the accuser's Instagram Live, their own Tumblr, their own correspondence with friends, you know, former friends of theirs coming out and saying, yeah, they lied and they made it up. There's just a lot of it that makes me feel very uncomfortable quote unquote canceling Melanie Martinez and this is coming from somebody who as you all know is a very vocal survivor of sexual assault Mm -hmm. K through 12 was severely hurt by these allegations and a big part of it is because who runs the really really big media sites older people Mm -hmm. they're not on TikTok They're not on Tumblr. Mm -hmm. They're not on YouTube for the most part. So all of this work that has been done from people who were like, something seems weird about this. Here's my evidence. Here's the things I've put together. Here's me coming up with the timeline. Like these internet sleuths, for lack of a better word. All of that work has gone completely unseen by these bigger industries who could be having these conversations about like, hey, maybe we should revisit the conversation surrounding Melanie Martinez because Mm -hmm. it's not black and white. Like, it's complicated. And I feel a certain kind of way as a rape survivor knowing that there is a very high probability that somebody (laughs) weaponized the believe all women sort of phrasing that we've all come to believe because that doesn't help anyone. That actually makes things way fucking worse. So much worse. And, and K through 12, even with, you know, damaged goods that people want to paint this whole situation as still did very well. Last I checked, it was at like 80 million views on YouTube. And that's the second time it's been put up because it was up and then they took it down to monetize it. um, And then they put it back up for free. It's back up with ads now, but it's a really impressive feat with all of this that's happened with the very heavy subject matter that it addresses across so many different topics that it's basically breaking the system of how you're supposed to release music and mm-hmm. film. And it still did very well for itself. But we, we talked about promising young woman earlier and I'd be lying if I said when I originally suggested we do this episode, it wasn't with a little bit of agenda of my own in relation to how you got to share things in that episode. Mm-hmm. Well, here we are. We're, we're, uh, we're going to get dirty with story time. Mm-hmm. So probably eight years ago, I saw a girl for like a week, two weeks. We were involved. Um, She pursued me. Every time that we ever had sex, she instigated it and started it. Mm -hmm. And 
pretty much our sex consisted of me doing everything. She was very pillow princess in that way. Except for one time she decided, oh, that's right, you like being topped. I'm going to try something. So she tried to get on top of me, did a really miserable job, um, clawed at me with sharp nails, thinking like, oh, that's kinky, and it was awful. Like, it was out of, like, a bad comedy, basically. And, you know, I thought, well, that sucked, but, you know, thought nothing of it, moved on with my life, started seeing someone else. Mm -hmm. At the time, I was helping out at the LGBT center in Cleveland as, like, helping with their youth program, helping with, like, being a, like, public representative for some stuff mm-hmm. in, a, in a very not-on-the-books, but, you know, volunteer capacity. Mm-hmm. And she also, you know, hung out there. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that things started to get different. Like, sure enough, we'd be all just kind of hanging out, like, cooking dinner once a week or whatever there, just as a group of friends hanging out. And she would have some sort of breakdown and go in the other room and then everyone would have to go in there and make her feel better and then come out and like mead mug the shit out of me. This goes on for like a month. And I think like we weren't even dating really. And like you you can't be mad at me for like cutting things off with you when we have for all intents and purposes been broken up longer than we were ever together. Mm-hmm. So I was being, like, real callous about this because, like, why should I feel bad that, like, hey, I'm sorry that I broke things up with you, but this is you not being able to handle that, not me. Mm-hmm. And people continued to treat me terribly. So I called, like, a little staff meeting with some of the people that worked there and said, hey, um, I don't know what's going on, but I want to get everyone in a room together. I want to kind of talk this out because whatever's going on, it's, like, messing with the entire community of people that are that function here. And I just want to like kind of get everything out in the open and just work our way through this. And I think it'd be really good if you could facilitate this. And the two people I called in to talk about this said, that sounds like you just want to get everybody in a room so you can gang up on this person. Which was, and I was stunned. I was like, no, that's not the case at all. And then they just started saying things like, you know, it's only dramatic when you're here. Maybe you should seek, like, help because apparently, like, you're asking us for help. Maybe you need professional help. And it was just, I had no idea where this was coming from, but I said, like, fine, you know what? If nobody wants me here, then I'll leave and I'm not going to come back and I don't care. So I did. And then I never really came back. The next day, I find out through some friends that apparently this girl that I'd been seeing had gone around to everyone I knew and had been saying for the last month that I assaulted her. And I have never um, talked about this in any sort of format to anyone ever because I'm very afraid of the, uh, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. Because as soon as you throw this out there, then people go, well, I mean, if someone says you did it, you probably did it. Or at least you had, they gave them a reason to think that you did. And I didn't. So cutting out some of the non-boring parts of the story and getting to the real meat and potatoes of why this fucking matters is that she had this big moment where she cut herself and then had to come see my roommate about it in my bathroom and then she comes out of the bathroom 
and tells me, Sorry I told everyone that you raped me. I couldn't handle feeling like I lost my gold star lesbian status by having sex with you. So she's not only admitting to having accused you of rape, but she's also essentially misgendering you and not viewing you as a quote-unquote real woman because for those that don't know, a gold star is a lesbian who has never been with a man. Yeah, that is exactly what. Yeah. And I was furious. I was furious at her. I was furious, I was furious at everyone because not only was this a thing that had been going on, but no one told me about it. Mm-hmm. No one said anything. No one confronted me. So in a best case scenario, maybe they didn't know how to handle it and then just decided to let these rumors get shared around for as long as they were going to, to everyone in my life. And that sucks, but you know, believe all survivors. That's best case scenario. In worst case scenario, they're not doing anything. And mm-hmm. allegedly a menace is just hanging out around people, potentially being a menace, and no one did anything. Mm-hmm. And years and years and years later, I got a message from this girl on Facebook, which I blocked her, and I thought I did, but then she made a second account. And basically, it, it was a long message that was very copied and pasted. It didn't say any kind of specific everything. Oh, hey, I'm here to make amends. If you'd like to accept my amends, please message me back or some shit like that. Because she was allegedly an alcoholic, I think she honestly just liked the attention and something else to blame for her problems, but I don't know. Once you lie about rape, I'm just going to assume everything you say is a fucking lie. So I, I, I messaged her back saying like, hey, you're a piece of shit. Fuck you. You make everything for survivors so much worse because you lied about it. Like... Instances like this, as few as they may be in the grand scheme of things, make things so much harder to take people seriously. And I called her out and I said, don't you ever fucking message me again. And then lo and behold, she messaged me and was like, I'm sorry, my bad. I'd still like to make it up to you because this isn't about me. This is about her feeling exonerated from her guilt as she goes through the 12 steps for like the 10th time. Mm-hmm. Fuck her. Because... I I was assaulted when I was a teenager. It was very coercive. It was somebody twice my age. Wasn't great. This, though, fucks me up so much harder emotionally where I don't trust people. And I don't know how to fucking handle this. Like, how do you handle this when the the latest accusation comes up where it's like, oh, hey, um, believe survivors. I, I want to. I don't not believe them. But also... I can't because this shit ruined my life for a chunk of time until everyone went, oh, hey, I guess she was a liar. And then they pretended it didn't happen. Not a single person apologized to me. The people at the center didn't. All of my friends who I stopped talking to because of this when they decided they wanted to come back, no one apologized. They just were like, oops, and then carried on. Because it doesn't impact them. Yeah. So I, I don't know what the moral of me telling the story is it really is just to make me feel better uh i have the screenshots of this conversation of her admitting that she lied Mm -hmm. i have it backed up three times Mm -hmm. because 
in the event that somehow someone wants to pull this on me of being like, oh, did you hear Harmony raped a person like 10 years ago or whatever? I want to have proof that says, fuck you. That is a lie and I can prove it. Mm-hmm. Because that's what I have to do. And I don't, I don't know what this is the point of this is, but this is a complicated subject. And it's all he said, she said stuff. Like you can't, in a lot of instances, prove either side definitively. Like everything is allegations. So I don't want to say like I doubt survivors because I don't. But I'm saying that I'm fucked up now and I don't know what to do in any situation ever. And no amount of therapy is going to fix that. So here we are. And it sucks. And I like this movie and I feel, I don't know, this unfortunate kinship with Melanie and a few other celebrities where this kind of shit has happened recently. Mm-hmm. That like I'm a fan of their stuff, and it's like wow, um, I'm really unhappy with how much false accusations are getting spread around, either by individual people or a mob mentality of people who blow things out of proportion to warp things into people being monsters when they're clearly not. Mm-hmm. And then, in the few instances where I feel confident going yeah, I can still support them because this didn't happen or it didn't happen the way that everyone says it did and it's actually okay. Damage is still done to people's reputation. Yeah. Like that's that's the real world moral of, of this project. And it feels awful talking about it for this episode because this is a heavy movie with a lot of heavy themes and I, I enjoyed talking about those as much as we did. But I hate that this has to be the asterisk to this movie mm-hmm. because we have to address this because some people don't know. And even though there's plenty of people like our nephew Cash and a lot of people he talks about where they all go, yeah, no, we don't believe it at all because we've looked into it and we mm-hmm. think it's bullshit. There's plenty of people who think it's bullshit, but this still defines someone's life. Mm-hmm. And whether people knew about my thing before this, this still defines so much of how I function mm-hmm. where I am suspicious of everyone. I think so many people have dubious intent because some people legitimately just want to hurt people or they just want attention or they want to turn you into a villain to feel better because it just takes one person with a convincing enough argument to ruin your life. I'm, I'm really proud of you for sharing that because... I've been very online my entire life and I've been very open about a lot of things. I may not talk about them in as much detail as I have been on the show recently, but I mean, that knowledge was out there and what you just did was incredibly brave because you've only ever really talked about this with like me and like your one friend who is the one who told you what was going on in the first place. Mm Mm-hmm. And I know that that's a really vulnerable position that you just put yourself in in order to contextualize sort of the energy that hangs around this movie. And I'm I'm really happy that you did because the reality is that there aren't a lot of instances like yours. 
where the person who has been wrongfully accused, number one, can prove that it wasn't true. Mm-hmm. Because I've showed you those two. I know. I've seen them. I've showed it to you, I think, three times because I need, I need eyes on it to say this happened. Mm-hmm. It, ne- it needs to be viewed by someone other than me so that it feels real. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I, I have seen it. And it is real. It's, you know, it's not Photoshopped. It's not any of that shit. Like, it's, it's real. A person wrongfully accused you. I showed you the version that wasn't even screen grabbed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had to dig through years old Facebook messages from people I don't talk to to get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where we culturally for so long have not believed survivors that now it's come to the point where there are people that just you know we have like that blanket acceptance like if somebody says it happened it happened or i i've heard the the line a lot of i would rather believe a liar than believe a rapist Mm -hmm. and there are few crimes that are, are i mean the the opening of svu is like these are crimes that are especially heinous There are people in this world that have like fan pages for fucking Ted Bundy and Richard Ramirez and they murdered people. Mm -hmm. But if you rape somebody like, yeah, you're you're right. You're fucked. And. There has been a very unsettling trend where. There have been these accusations where they are muddy, where it's not black and white, where it there is doubt being cast mm-hmm. and it is getting increasingly frustrating because it does feel like that there are people who are starting to starting to weaponize a movement that is so important and like like i've never met this person and i never will and no, they we should moved be across the country yeah they should i be. was so worried that they're um Fucking, I, I was so worried that they were going to show up to my bar that I worked at before we moved. Yeah. I I try not to hold hate in my heart. I, I really try. There's like a handful of people that I think like I, I genuinely know that I hate them. Mm-hmm. Same. And, and she's one of them. Because on like a fundamental level, I hate that she caused that much pain to someone I love Uh like fuck you forever for that I hate that she weaponized something that you know impacts me personally as as a survivor but the number one thing is that since knowing this truth about you and this situation that happened I also am now incapable of just blanket belief. I can't fucking do it because I know that there are people in this world that are that fucking evil mm-hmm. that they that they will lie about some shit like this. And that's the thing. And that that's why this that's why this has me so much more screwed up than my own assault did cuz like that was selfish. Like mm-hmm. it was maybe a power fantasy. Like it's not great. I'm not going to excuse it. But lying about this and like going on your tumblr with a few thousand followers because they catered into like the gay crowd of tumblr at the time 
to say like this happened to me and I I could I could call the cops and I could have her put away but I won't because I'm a good person and everyone's like fuck them I hope they get the death penalty just the worst things about me just like they don't know me they don't know it's a lie but all these people are blindly just saying like I hope they fucking get hit by a train mm-hmm. and I did nothing wrong that's evil that is so malicious Oh, I'm really sorry that that's something you had to endure because no one should ever have to and you didn't deserve that, especially when, like in, in every circumstance, you don't deserve that. But the cherry on top of it being rooted in transphobia mm-hmm. is, so it's real, it's r- really atrocious. Like there's some extra yellow in that loogie on my face. Like it's real gross and I hate it. And the one sort of positive that I have that I take away from this is that I'm in a unique position where I am a survivor of assault. And I also have been accused of it falsely. But in the court of public opinion, if someone says you did it, you did it. Mm -hmm. So now... I'm operating in this weird duality that I don't want, but it gives me a unique perspective, I suppose. That's that's one of the things that I tell myself to make this more okay. Mm-hmm. And it's not, but it feels a little less awful. It's a little bit less like I'm throwing up in my own mouth when I think about it, mm-hmm. when I talk about it. Yeah. So, Yeah. Normally, this would be a point where I would tell you that I love you, but I also know that when you're this steamed up, that that isn't helpful. I love you too, and I appreciate saving this for the end of the episode. If anyone's still listening, thank you. I love you too. I'm trying to be funny about this, but it's, I know. it's I, not I've funny. got a lot of manic energy right now. Yeah. If there's anything that I want people to take away from you sharing your story in the context of this film, it's that we have culturally shifted the narrative of discussing rape culture and sexual abuse into this really polarizing area. And we've completely lost our ability to have actual nuanced discussions about it. And we need to get that back. Because as much as we want this to be a black and white issue, sometimes it's not. And we need to not be afraid of admitting that sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's messy. And sometimes it's complicated. It's always complicated. And that's the thing. It is always complicated. Because even if somebody is, you know, intentionally going out and causing harm... What are the contributing factors that led them to that point? What social messaging and upbringing were they provided with that makes them have this type of a moral compass where this is an acceptable direction to travel? These are all the questions that we're afraid to talk about. We want to just say, it's common sense, don't do this. And yeah, to some extent that's true, but at the same time, there's so much learning and unlearning that needs to be done and how how much did people not even want to talk about it for me 
Yeah. They, they didn't. Like, they didn't tell me about it. They didn't do anything. They just said, oh, that's bad, and then did literally nothing. Yeah. That was their idea of helping or something. I, I don't even know what the mindset of it was. And it's just really difficult, especially as, you know, both of us can speak as people who have been survivors of rape. Like, we, we can. But at the same time, there's this really insidious nature of of weaponizing it because society has spent so long not believing people when they're telling the truth that now it's swung so hard in the opposite direction that we've erased any room for understanding and and discussion. And when I say understanding, I'm not saying oh, we should talk to them and hear their side of it. Like, that's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is we have removed the ability to figure out why. All we have is that this happened, I believe you, okay, bye. And that doesn't help anybody. That doesn't allow closure. That doesn't help. And it's led us into this really dangerous territory if i'm going to be completely honest honestly i feel like so many people's idea of healing is just talking about it on the internet mm -hmm. and then that oh you're so brave you shared that on the internet so everyone knows about it but like this isn't going to make me feel better it's more of a uh, cautionary tale i guess of anything mm -hmm. but i i don't know like, that's what people think is, like, some sort of uh, a way of mitigating therapy mm -hmm. is just, like, people going, like, oh, my God, good job. You did it. You you told us about the thing, which I don't really want that to be the takeaway from me saying this. Yeah. I think, if anything, you, you sharing your story, this isn't to, to be a one-to-one -one comparison of... Well, this happened to Harmony, therefore no. it could have happened to Melanie. That's not what we're saying. No. What we're saying is that the conversation surrounding Melanie Martinez is complicated. And the reality is we probably won't ever know the truth until there is a giant press release, handwritten note, video, something. Who knows? Because at this point... A lot of the evidence has been deleted in both the people who think that she did it and those that think that her accuser made it up for clout. And that makes it complicated and that makes it messy. But if we just say, oh, well, this thing happened and then never follow up with it, never see what happened. Then you're like that article you read. Mm-hmm. That says, we'll do better research. We'll do better next time. But did you? Because by the time that, you know, K through 12 was was out there, there were already in there was already information available that was like, hey, this might not be true. You might want to look into this. And no Probably one looks into not. it. Yeah. But then I think about like what happened when you were talking about the center and it's like you didn't look into it. And that's the problem. We're not looking into these situations and not looking into it is why we're in the mess in the first place. Because when there were women talking about 
Harvey Weinstein and, you know, the countless other gross fucking dudes in the world, Mm -hmm. people didn't look into it. And now we are where we are. And it's, it's just fucked. Like it, we. There's no blueprint for how to handle this. None. So people just go, well, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. It's, I, it's just easier if I just believe the person. And you know what? They're probably, they're probably telling the truth. I would say with like, you know, 99% certainty. Mm-hmm. But there's still that 1%. Because every once in a while, you have a situation like mine. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. Thanks. I'm having a bad day. I can tell. I'm going to play Pokemon Snap later and feel great. (laughs) Do you have any final thoughts on K-12? I really love this movie. We recently had to speak about a thing that's going to come out way down the line about queer horror. And I got to talk a lot about modern queer horror, like specifically for like teens in some instances. So like Bit, Assassination Nation, uh, The Craft Legacy as a couple examples. Mm -hmm. And we did not talk about this movie. And I thought, I think we should have. Yeah. Especially considering I love stuff like this. Alice Cooper is in so many ways my horror father figure. And he had a vision in the same way that Melanie does. She does everything herself. She knows exactly what she's doing. And I really hate the misogyny of how we don't respect that. Mm -hmm. Because you can have Eminem talking about murdering his wife and saying like, oh, the things I say on my album, it's not true. I don't actually want to murder my wife violently. And people go, oh, I guess that's fine. But Melanie Martinez wears all of the outfits from like the crybaby era of the first album. And people go, "Uh, this is gross. Uh, She probably likes diapers. And it's like, that's not the topic here. And the fact that you can't see that and you're writing this off. But like, it's cool if Eminem raps about killing his wife. Like, we just don't want to allow for the theatrics and the, the the shock of this because this, this is mm-hmm. this isn't violence shock this is feminine shock mm-hmm. and i love it and i appreciate it and i hope melanie's having a great day <laughs> every day and that's all i got i'm very tired well friends i think that uh pretty much settles things on k through 12 normally i wouldn't plug things but Harmony just did an ass load of emotional labor. So if you want to subscribe to our Patreon, it's patreon.com backslash the sends at prom. Or you can find us on Twitter at the sends at prom. You can find me, BJ Colangelo. You can find her, Velocitraptor, Velasa underscore trap underscore tour. And you can reach out. Tell us how you're feeling. If you agree with what we had to say, that's cool. If you disagree, I totally understand it. I'd rather not hear about it if that's perfectly honest. Yeah. Tell BJ about it, not me. Yeah. But this is a uh, this is a pretty intense episode, and I know that this is going to be pretty polarizing, I think, for our audience. And I understand, but I also hope that you can extend the empathy and hear Harmony's story and 
take that to heart too. Have empathy for me and then you can have magic. That's the moral, right? <laughs> we pulling rabbits out of hats in no time. Perfect. Bye, friends. Bye. Take care of yourselves. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.